Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luhr, and I'm delighted to have another good friend and industry colleague on the line with, him, with me here today, all the way from Singapore, Mr. Unmesh. Welcome to the podcast, Unmesh. Thanks, Marcus. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Unmish is one of those uh, gentlemen who really only needs one name. Uh, I, uh, you know, it's like Ronaldo. You, you don't really need more. And, you know, everyone knows Umish, and because and the simple reason is because no one will be able to pronounce his last name. But we'll get to that later, um, or you can tell us now. <laughs> no, no, it's look, it's 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 two different words uh, from Indian mythology. It's Partha and Sarathi, but more more often than not. People, when trying to pronounce my surname, sort of end up being breathless for the wrongest reasons. Correct. So I'm happy with the, I'm, I'm happy with this. Perfect. And we'll leave it at that. So, uh, But as always, uh, let me quickly introduce you to uh, uh, illustrious career, um, which spans over two decades, um, starting in the UK and then uh, spending quite a bit of time here in Asia. Uh, but Umish also has a double, major, a double master uh, from Cambridge as well as the London Business School, so he's a clever boy. Uh, we also, uh, as I said, uh, and, and there's stories to it how, how Cambridge came in. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but then I believe uh, the first job started off in India with NDTV, which is sort of the CNN of India, uh, big uh, news company. Um, you then had, you know, stops uh, of all the big names. You were with IMG and the SMTV group there. Uh, you spent some time with BBC. You, you had a little short sting with World Sailing, back to ESPN, yep. Fox, uh, News Corp, um, the ICC Cricket Route. Uh, and of course, you have your own company where you're providing certain advisory services to uh, people around the world. So, um, very colorful. I would say there is uh, two sort of strains here. One, of course, cricket is is part of it, and, and you're being Indian, that makes complete sense. Uh, and of course, it's broadcast, OTT, and digital, which is really where you spend your time. So, this is really how we, what we're going to be talking about. A bit of a cricket element to it, and uh, and then of course, digging into some of the fun stories and the learnings you've had uh, throughout your career. So, Umesh, come and take it away and, and, and get us warmed up here. <laughs> well, look, I think the, the story goes back uh, in the early 90s, actually even before NDTV. Uh, I began my working life uh, in the sports media industry working for IMG or IMG Media mm-hmm. or TWI, Trans World International, as yeah. it was then called. Um, and I was with them pretty much for 10 years, apart from two years uh, supposedly studying at Cambridge and eight, nine months back in India working for NDTV and Star News. All right. But I was with them for 10 years. Um, I was very lucky in the sense that, that I worked with some amazing bosses. I, I, I was IMG's first hire in India, worked for Peter, Peter Hutton, oh, yeah. who was now head of sport for International, who had also been on your, on your show. Absolutely. Uh, then I worked for Alistair Waddington uh, in, in London. Um, and uh, on the on the SNTV business, who's now I think with ITN Sport, uh, and then uh, worked with uh, Bill Sinrich, uh, who was yeah. formerly the sort of the global CEO yeah, of, of the media business. Yeah. So he was and a good was, friend was, too. I really like was, Bill. Yeah, and you know he was it was it was a, it was a fascinating time in those ten years for two reasons. One, I think in the early mid in the mid nineties, we sort of caught the the, the pay TV boom, hmm. which was. You know, I still remember covering cricket, as you mentioned, and hockey and football and tennis. But we also did elephant polo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we did whatever. Yeah, well, uh, this is SNTV, right? I mean, well, you are a news. No, this was this, this was actually this, this was this was TWI. Oh, this was TWI. All right. So this was Sony, Sony, Z, Doordarshan, ESPN. Star Sports or Prime Sports, as they were then called at the time. Right, okay. uh, we did all kinds of production for them, which was great fun. Gotcha. Um, and there were about eight of us who were the first sort of first hires in the first six months, and we are all still in touch. Uh, and we all of, all of us have sort of, I guess, gone on to do some pretty interesting things, led by Peter himself. And that was fun. And then I think what the second thing which happened was when I moved to London with the company, which was after Cambridge, um, I got involved in the in the digital side of things or new media, as it was then called. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was 98, 99, 2000 uh, and got involved with SNTV and the digital business there. And and I think it, it's really brought home to me uh, some very humbling facts. Firstly, I was not as creative a producer as 10 other people in the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not as uh, I was technologically illiterate, but I understood the use of technology in terms of creating an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was good. And I, I like to be on the commercial side of the business. 
And you could sort of see that over 10 years, I moved from a creative role to a commercial role along the way. Uh, And then that led to business school. And that was great fun um, because I sort of combined that time with being with two very young businesses. One was a uh, a digital video business doing music and sports. And the other was a sailing business with Russell Coots, which was quite phenomenal. We were in touch even till today. And he's gone to do some pretty phenomenal stuff with BMW Oracle and Larry Allison and everybody else in the sailing world. Um, and then dial forward, I had to get a proper job, I guess, uh, after all of this. And I was looking at an ad in the Sunday Times uh, in June of 2005. Uh, I had just exited the sailing business. Uh, I was graduating the next next day, actually. Um, and there was an ad in the, in the Sunday Times in London for uh, management consultants in the BBC te- Technology Division. Mm. So I applied and, long story short, got to work on that. Again, fascinating people, great, great Great bosses, and amazing projects. So working Beijing Olympics, which was quite fascinating. I was just going to say, tell us a bit. What uh, what exactly were you working on in the BBC? What so, was the, so the, uh, so the, I was part of the BBC technology team, which is basically at that time the BBC was was generating from license fee about two and a half billion pounds of money a year, of which ten percent was being spent on capex, on technology capex. Mm-hmm. That's a large amount of money. Yeah. Uh, but it was also a time. This is two thousand five, where you know, the London bid had been given. Um, Beijing was coming up. It was the first Olympics of remote production. It was the first Olympics of HD, if you remember. Right. Um, and there was a lot of push in the market for them to come up with some kind of a digital product, which eventually became the iPlayer. Mm-hmm. So I basically worked, and there were about 30 of us who would sort of get dropped into different parts of the BBC, fundamentally as sort of change agents to actually, you know, make digital adoption possible. Right. So I worked across news, I worked across kids, I worked on the Beijing Olympics, uh, I worked on part of the design of the London Media City uh, for the Olympics. Uh, but, the, but the highlight really actually of working for the BBC was not in London, it was actually in Joburg. Because we went to sort of help the news department at the national broadcaster, uh, the SABC in Joburg, and help them with that. And then they actually had a very large tender to go from tape to file and then do news and sport across half a dozen languages, which has never been done before you know, in that country. Right. Uh, it's, so we did that. Uh, so it was a bunch of, it was a bunch of engineers. Um, There's a bunch of people who could put a PowerPoint slide together and do some modeling. Uh, and it was a bunch of uh, 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 creative people who actually understood how a story could be told. So really a fascinating mix. Uh, I ended up sort of living in Joburg for a year and a half. Um, we had a team of 80 people, which was fascinating, sourced from all over the place, Bombay, Nairobi, uh, Munich, uh, London, Glasgow, uh, Milan. It was a very, very eclectic sort of team. Uh, and then, as luck would have it, you talked about cricket. I was at the Wanderers, which is the cricket stadium in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And I bum- and we were we were there because we had... When I say we, the SABC had bought some high-definition trucks, some HD trucks. And we were sort of trying to do a simulcast, and I had gone to see what the kit was like, and so I'd gone with, with our chief engineer. And I met an old colleague of mine um, from, from actually, it was a university buddy of mine, uh, who was working for ESPN Star, because they were the broadcasters of the India tour mm-hmm. uh, from South Africa. And dial forward three months later, he gets in touch with me saying, look, we are looking for somebody of your skill set to come to Singapore. Can I connect you to, you know, certain people in the organization? Mm. And that one chance meeting led to my sort of packing up my bags after 10 years in London and moving to Singapore um, in a role which did not exist in the organization. Mm. It was fundamentally, again, a similar kind of a change agent trying to new start new things. Keep in mind, in, nine, in 2008, ESPN Star was an SD channel business. Yeah. Uh, and then by 2015, it was you know, HD, it had OTT, various different types of, sort of services. So then again, what I was doing at the BBC, which was a sort of a, across multiple departments, the whole idea was that you come into an organization, it's almost like working agency side and then going, and then going client side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was great fun with a phenomenal team. It yeah. is, to my mind. Let, let's talk a bit more about it because uh, mm. your, your title was there at that time was again head of strategy and, and business development. Uh, you know, and it, it basically it talks. You're talking about you know generating a new sort of digital portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me, tell us a bit more. What does that? How did that look in 2008? And, and uh, you know, in the three years or three and a half years, which you spent there, you know, where did you be able to take it? 
You know, you know, at that time, this was so, the role was 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 you know it was it was a corporate role in the sort of CEO's office, working between you know the CEO's executive committee and everybody else as as the piggy in the middle, mm. and very much driven by you know our platform partners. So I'm looking at Tata Sky in India, I'm looking at Astro in Malaysia, Star Harbor, and soon to be Sinclair in, in in Singapore, PCW in Hong Kong. And the whole idea really was the, the, the need to push into digital, and I, I mean digital broadcasting, and then eventually digital in terms of online digital as well, mm-hmm. was driven by the fact that the broadcasters, the broadcast platforms themselves were looking to provide multiple services. Because don't forget, a television channel business is not a B2C business. It's a B2B2C business. Sure. So, the, so the whole piece really was around Astro going HD, mm-hmm. Singtel starting entering pay television. And wanting to have, you know, a, a very wide bouquet of channels, um, you know, Tata Sky going MPEG four on their satellite transponder, and therefore having a lot more bandwidth in terms of what they could provide, uh, and the 2011 World Cup cricket World Cup being in India. So this was like a three-year sort of piece: new Premier League cycle, new Formula One deal, and and the 2011 Cricket World Cup. Keep in mind, 2008 October was the first year of the Singapore Grand Prix. Right, okay. So you know, there were three yeah, things which came together. The Premier League deal came together, the Formula One team deal, and the La Liga deal came together. And then the Formula One deal came together. And then the the uh, the cricket deal had come together with the World Cup. So the whole idea really was first go HD and then from there looking at sort of doing a whole bunch of digital stuff as well. So we created two, two HD channels, ESPN and Star Sports HD. Mm-hmm. And we created a basic tier news channel, which was very much in Southeast Asia. Uh, and then eventually we created what at that time was called authenticated broadband, was now called OTT. Right. You know, sold through Singtel's IPTV platform and, and PCW and, and and Astro, and it was it was great fun. And if you you know, I remember you um, you were talking about it that you you obviously worked with BBC and there was the iPlayer, right, which was again yeah. sort of an early incarnation of um, you know whatever we call now OTT or other things, yeah. digital. Um, and now you and then you work with ESPN on ESPN Play. Mm. You know, talk a bit about that. I mean, because that's again that's technology. There is this whole evolution. Give us a good good feel of how that all work came so, together. So okay, let me let me give we'll you a pair the two. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give three different perspectives. You know, for those in the audience who understand technology, I'll tell you. In two thousand six, the iPlayer initial architecture was based on a Microsoft Video Codec, uh, which was which you know was was called Silverlight, mm-hmm. uh, and you know it was just a little bit better than QuickTime, which is very different than you know what the bright coves and the Uyalas of this world use today. Right. So again, that it's, it's almost like saying. You know, I began using a PC using a 386. You know, yeah. It's right. that kind of an analogy to have. Okay. Uh, the second piece was, and that was very much standalone. It was VOD. It was non-sport. Right. So it was very much set-top box in the cloud with, before the cloud existed. Mm-hmm. So browser-based interface and eventually an app-based interface and eventually a connected TV-based interface. Um, and very, very pretty complex because spending money at the BBC had to be justified because it's license fee. Sure. Very different commercial parameters. It was more about access to content. It's about surfacing content, using the archive, providing value to the citizens who are paying £140 a year, sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, ESPN Player or ESPN Player, as it, was, as it was also called, was much more driven, as I said, by the, it was more B2B demand. It was much more platform saying, Singtel saying, I'm an IPTV platform. I want to do something similar. Um, so it was much more driven by them. It was much more about, uh, you know, 3G is settled in, 4G is coming. Uh, people are going from desktop to mobile, mm-hmm. you know, 9, 10, 11. I, I wanted to be able to provide them content on more than one screen. This is very much a multi-screen kind of an environment, six, right. eight years later. It's a very different sort of consumer experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's a long time in technology, right? I mean, that's a whole, you know, basically another... <laughs> Another alteration altogether. So, uh, I mean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say this is that this is before Amazon, you know, bought Twitch and AWS was created. Mm. BBC iPlayer was created much before that. So it's a very different kind of a piece. And then, you know, we learned a lot from the ESPN um, uh, parents in in Bristol, Connecticut, in terms of what they were doing in the US. Uh, but that also posed challenges because we realized that that was a very much a mature market, a very rich, prosperous market with very good fixed line connectivity. And device ownership, which is the U.S., right? Yep. Uh, whereas you know Singapore is similar, but not that large. Malaysia is quite quite different. You know that know, know the country. There's there's large pockets of, of prosperity, and then there's a much larger sort of 
country, and uh, Hong Kong was quite quite similar as well. So you know, it was a very interesting piece, which which remained limited to Singapore, KL. I won't even say Malaysia. Singapore, KL, and Hong Kong as an offering. Whereas you know, HD went into Taiwan. We took it into India. Uh, so it was a much broader piece. Simply because the pipes were fatter and they could take more of it, the ecosystem was there in terms of set-top box and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, it, yeah, the, and, and that's important. I think it's yeah, the, the uh, you know that the systems or, or the 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 ecosystem can support uh, what you're trying to pump through it. I guess that's a, that's an interesting learning, right? Uh, it's all nice and good having it, uh, and that's I think always been the problem with OTT as well, right? That you say, oh yeah. yeah, the whole country theoretically can watch it. Uh, but if you are somewhere in the in the in more you know urban or, or rural parts of the country, then uh, you know you might it might not work, right? And so it's it's not quite always as simple as saying, oh, you know, I reach the whole country, right? Like you said, yeah. it's actually becomes yeah. more complicated. I I totally agree, and I think I would add to that and say that a it it can work on an on demand environment. I think YouTube, for example, can work on demand. Short form is fine, yeah. but sport is live, linear, long form. And a very unforgiving audience, because you don't want to find out what the score was when you did when you lost connectivity. So it's a very zero margin of error uh, experience. Um, so we were very conservative about you know bitrate, adaptive bitrates, and what the screen size needs to be, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And a massive learning experience for all of us. You yeah. know, coming from television to actually build an OTT service, it's it's very hard. And if you look at the successes of most people, Netflix, you know, to the extent possible, the Zone. Uh, you know, I think Hotstar, to my mind, is the only big piece of OTT success which has come out of a broadcaster. Hmm. Um, and you know, the, the management team there always says that we build a technology company within a media business. Let's jump into that for a minute. Uh, I'll come back to. I, I definitely want to talk to you about Ball Ball because mm. I, I, I have some thoughts on that. But uh, while we're talking into it, while we, we just uh, touched on India, um, you know, let's t jump a bit into your cricket space here, right? Um, mm. And uh, and Hotstar, obviously, I'm assuming uh, was one of the clients and, and part of it. So, tell talk us a bit through what we were building there with the ICC and uh, obviously sure. now being on a on a you know rights holder side rather than on the broadcaster side. No, correct. So I, I, if you look at the sort of, if you break up the industry in terms of agency, which brokers, supply and demand, and then the demand side, which sort of buys broadcasters and brands, and then the federation leagues and clubs who have the IP. So I actually went agency, then sort of, you know, buy side or demand side and then sell side, which is the IP side, which was fascinating. Um, and it, you know, uh, it, it to me, professionally and personally, it really was um, coming full circle. You know, cricket was the reason why I jumped into, I guess, why Peter hired me. Because that was the main sport in India. I knew some players on the circuit, spoke a few languages. That kind of helped. Yeah. Uh, and then to suddenly circle back and you know work for the ICC and you know inaugurate a new a new revenue stream for them, which was totally unproven. You know, Marcus, I look back on it sometimes and said, you know, I was based in Singapore. They were in, they were in Dubai. It was new for the business. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that much. Right. You know, but it was you know chunky uh, and very high margin. But um, it, it was a fascinating experience for three reasons. One, I think I realized that unlike a broadcaster, at a federation, success is not necessarily only about making money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, growing the game, making it available to different segments, access is very important. Uh, one. Two, any initiative, finding synergies across grassroots development, sponsorship activation, understanding of the organization of what digital is like, all of those matter a lot more in a federation than they would in a broadcaster. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. And it was a very, very, which was, you know, coming from a very commercial environment from, you know, a decade in IMG and six, eight years with ES, you know, the, the, the Disney and then the New Scope group. It was, a, it was a very different lens. So that was the first point. Second point, I think we, when we began, you know, confirming the product market fit, in some markets we got it spot on in mm. terms of, say, for example, the US, say, example, India and Hotstar. Right. You know, they had just launched the product and it was something which created competitive difference and we got a good value out of it. And I think Facebook has now gone for the second four-year cycle and you know, done something quite phenomenal, which I think the Indian fan uh, is going to benefit from. Um, but on the other hand, if you look at the UK, which is where the Cricket World Cup was held last year, you know, the initial thinking was that the platforms will get interested, Sky and BT. Uh, and and to, our, to our surprise, pleasantly, uh, we actually had some pretty phenomenal bids from publishers, from digital publishers, 
namely BBC Sport and ESPN Crick Info. Mm -hmm. uh, and that from a game perspective was fascinating because the, we knew we could end up doing two deals rather than one that market because the BBC would not be taking the ad sales market share from ESPN. Right. It's a public service company. At the same time, they'll be providing a breadth and depth of coverage which will actually help grow the game in a country like England. Uh, what they've been challenged, and it came to pass. You know, they had a phenomenal success with that. Now, so, now I um, remember we we had a couple. Sorry, I'll jump in for a second here. Um, and we were talking with with Sportsfix at that time. You know, I remember yeah. we had looked we looked at a couple of these packages, and and one part obviously was there was the live element wasn't as much, and it was short clips and with this and that. Which again, for it depends on the type of services or the provider you are, um, yeah. like you said, the publisher you are, that, that could work great or it might not be the best thing, right? Yeah. Um, and, but that was really the trick, right? I you know, I'd love you to, to talk us a bit more um, for other rights holders to think about, along the same line, you know, give us, you know, go really into detail of what is it you guys separated out from the live stream so that you didn't cannibalize, you know, the live stream, which is obviously the rights are large in, in you know, very particular countries. Sure. Um, but that you can really add it, that extra value to it. Maybe talk us a bit sure, through that. I sure. think that's an interesting part. Let me give you two perspectives. I'll give you a professional perspective and then I'll give you a personal perspective. On Please. the professional side, you know, historically media rights, not historically, I think in for, between 2000 and 2015, most media rights were sold on a platform basis. By, and by that I mean, you know, free-to-air, pay TV, uh, and within pay TV, you'd have DTH, cable, IPTV, as the case might be, depending on, you know, what country you're in. Right. Um, so it was very much around platform rights. Uh, and I wasn't part of the, 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 the current rights cycle, which was, which was the ICC renewal with, with STAR, which was finished in 2014, and it's an eight-year deal between 15 and 23. But, you know, there, was, there were other far more qualified people than myself which sort of were involved in that in that in that negotiation and i think the smart thing which they did was they began defining the rights by asset type mm -hmm. and by that they you know they said live linear long form mm -hmm. is one right we don't really care what the interface is whether it's television through a set-top box television through a vsat and free to air digital through a browser digital through an app we don't care because the fan doesn't care which is true Yep. But I thought it was a very, you know, very enlightened kind of view to take to it. Um, but the, what also allowed it to do, therefore, was they could say live in a long form is up, which is your classic his, or historical broadcast tender. Mm -hmm. uh, but what they did was they retained um, uh, non-live, or was the case was near live, right. short form and non-linear rights in the match window. So historically, 90 seconds would be provided at the end of day for news access. Yep. Not to be monetized, which is the kind of deals we did at, at SNTV in London. Yeah. Or with Reuters, as the case might be. So this was very much around saying, you know, whether you're a star or whether you are OSN or Sky or Willow or Sky New Zealand or Foxtel, your primary business is live linear long form. So we'll create a product for you. But they also realized that in this eight-year window between 2015 and 2023, mobile, 3G, 4G smartphones were beginning to sort of, you know, come into mainstream. Yep. Um, and so this was a product very much designed for the back half of an eight-year cycle, which is what we've just entered now. Right. Um, so, so that really was the looking, looking at, you know, and that's I think it's it's a really interesting one that the, that as a federation, uh, it was looking forward that much into or looking so much into the distance. They're saying, okay, where is the future there? Uh, not everyone does that, I think. Um, cricket, as we all know, has, has obviously seen many uh, alterations here over the last ten years, right? From the mm -hmm. short form was twenty twenty and everything in between. So I always feel cricket is definitely a uh, is a bit more on the forefront, thinking a bit as much as it's you know one of the oldest games ever out there um but clearly that from a federation they, they do think about that which i like yeah and which sort of is a good segue into the i, I said i promised you two perspectives so i gave you the professional one i'll give you the personal one and you mentioned mm -hmm. ball ball as well right um what cricket as a as a format lends itself to short form video it's like tennis right it has six balls from one end and it has discrete moments of excitement six four wicket catch run out drop catch in football, I still remember when I, at News Corp, we did this deep analysis of the average and the median number of game, goals uh, per match across La Liga, Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and EPL. Mm -hmm. And at that time, La Liga was coming out at about 2.8. Now, the challenge we've got is with 2.8 goals 
per per match. There isn't that many exciting moments to provide a digital licensee. I think only a cricket man would say that. <laughs> no, but, 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 no but, but keep in mind, you, okay, you have the set pieces, you have the corners and free kicks, yes, but more often than not, it is the culture of football that the contentious matters are not covered. You know, whether was there a free kick? Was there a foul? Did he dive? Which are the real sort of social and uh, community-based talking, based points. talking yeah, points. Whereas in cricket, the DRS actually allows you to go through the minutiae of what is a referral between the player and the first empire and the third empire. And that is part of the highlights. So the very challenge that we faced on Ballbot and Newscope, one was around format. The other, I think we were about two years, 18 months too early in terms of 4G connectivity, uh, video being processed in a particular way, programmatic advertising, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Uh, and when I've been there before, you know, Ball Ball was 12, 13, 14, and I'd been at SNTV in the digital business, which was 2001 and two. And at that time also, we realized that there was a business to be built, but you know, that whole business was about three years too early. The SNTV digital business was actually what Olive Slipper made in premium TV, hmm. what eventually became performed. But, you know, he began that in 2002-3-4, whereas SNTV Digital was 2000-2001. So it's a very interesting perspective. This love affair with short-form video was, is now a 20-year-old love affair. And if the learnings hadn't been there around Ball Ball, around ESPN, uh, and around SNTV and IMG, I don't think we would have made as much of a success of the ICC rights. But timing was great. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. And, and I have to admit, during the, let's say, ball ball days, the heydays of ball ball, I, I couldn't work it out either. I, I really struggled with the platform. I went to it a few times, uh, and it really didn't do anything for me. And, and yeah. again, you know, maybe it was too early. You know, maybe we weren't quite ready for it. I think, I think, I think the, if, if you do the postmortem, that probably is the case. And that wasn't the case. You know, that, that has often been the case of a lot of initiatives that media companies have taken. I still remember during the dot-com days of 2000, there used to be a joint venture between Vivendi of France and Vodafone of Germany called Vis-a-Vis. Mm-hmm. Brilliant whole idea of the telco will come with content and we sort of take the whole thing forward. Probably about four years too early, five years too early, because the processing, the billing, the monetization hadn't quite come up. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, that, that, that's a very interesting piece. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think you had, you had the daily from, from Newscope in New York, which is a tablet-only service. Which again was, you know, way ahead of its time, uh, but quite revolutionary. And all the people who were in that team have now gone on to do some pretty cool work uh, for digital publishers. Because you know, the, you learn a lot more when things are not working out than when things have worked out. Because of course, when things work out, you say it's because of me, and when they don't work out, it's, oh, it's a macro environment. <laughs> Absolutely, that's true. <laughs> that's always <well>. the case. <laughs> I want to come back for a second to ICC before we move mm-hmm. on, um, and just to give everyone a, again a sense of scale and size. I mean, the yeah. ICC global cricket rights in, tel- in the television space are billions, and, and you can be more specific. But I do remember or reading at least that uh, in terms of your the OTT rights, or that's I'm sorry, the, the digital part which you developed there, that's still about a, it was over a hundred million or so as well, right? So we, we're talking significant numbers. Just give us the scale and size here, so people get a sense of it. So look, I, I can neither confirm nor deny what you just said, and that's a good try, Marcus. Um, <laughs> but uh, my NDAs are over. But you know, it's a small industry. But let me give you some perspective. Um, if you look at and ICC's rights have been sold in a eight-year cycle. And the first eight-year cycle was 1999 to 2007, mm-hmm. then 7 to 15, and then 15 to 23, right? Uh, 99 uh, to 2003 was 140 million, and then eventually that became like a $400 million deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doubled in the following eight years, and it doubled again in the following eight years. Yeah, so we're in the uh, billions. So, you know, that, that's one way of looking at it. Um, and that's the uh, traditional, right? They were talking that's about traditional. Yeah, that, that's, that's the traditional, traditional that's form. Traditional. Correct. That's traditional. Um, so that that's you know, at the same time, don't forget, you know, it's the macros are always very important. You know, the centrality of India as a pay TV market and the competition in India for those rights at a time when the Indian team was playing well and the World Cup was in the in the Indian time zone. Yeah. So it's a combination of the federation working out how do I play my cards Absolutely. in terms of what event, what format. Keep keep in mind, T20 was uh, was a was a pure stroke of stroke of luck. Yep. Um, keep in mind that, but the World Cup in 2011 was planned. Uh, keep in mind that it was an eight-year deal, not a four-year deal or a ten-year deal. 
uh, and the Indian team and the administrators, you know, backed it to be a very, very good team. Uh, and the IPL was, you know, another product of that. So there, there were, there was some, some, there was some design and there was some luck, which came together. Uh, but it's no different than the Champions League. You know, if you look at what team did in the early 90s, that was actually when pay television was growing in Europe. Uh, and that's what led to the competition uh, between between various platforms and broadcasters um, in in Europe, which drove, you know, media rights as a share of total was always about 60% and then a bit more, more recently, because sponsorship has dropped. Mm. So again, yeah, even it's, there, it's it was, interesting. You know, the, the, the teams I, I were was, good, football was good, broadcast was good, coverage was very good. Yeah, um, here's a question. A good, good I, I, have a, I want to ask you, um, what's your thought on it? Um, if you look at, let's say, FIFA and the IOC, they, they sign you know these long-term deals as well at, at times, where at four-year, eight-year blocks. Um, but of course, traditional leagues like the Premier League, it's always a three-year window, right, or a three-year mm-hmm. cycle. Uh, and here, ICC again, it's an eight-year cycle, which is, mm-hmm. seems to be very long. Um, and then, almost in my again, you can you know, being on the agency side for years, of course, you always wonder, you know, are you leaving money on the table at the end, right? You might have a good deal at the beginning; it sounds great because it's a large, big number with many zeros in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you, you know, three or four years into it, um, and you realize how quick the the market is moving. How you know in the old days at least how the market was moving up and then you know you feel like maybe you leave money what's your thought on that what's your no, i mean now it's, now it's, it's a good it's, thing to have a long-term deal because the prices are going exactly. down but uh, in the long in the pre in the old in the last let's say 20 years <laughs> that wasn't really the case right so what, what's your reading on that or what's your thought on it look i think it's very human to want to have your cake and eat it too right one yep. point number two hindsight is always 2020 right yes. um and most good rights deals and i mean good for the buyer and the seller are ones which seem extremely rich at the beginning and seem, I won't say a bargain, but quite economical at the end. So I think it's a balance. Those those, are the first three points I would make. I think the second thing is, keep in mind, you know, Olympics, FIFA World Cup, ICC, um, they are mainly built around the World Cup, historically, right? right? Hmm. Um, And therefore, you're looking at two big events in an eight-year window. But, you know, if you have qualifiers and all that kind of stuff, so the way a broadcaster uses it is very, very different, and their learning curve has to be very substantial. Most rights deals are backloaded in the next, in the remaining, in the, in the latter four-year cycle, and therefore you're giving. So one way to look at it also is that the buyer has four years to learn, and then four years to make good, and that's the punt on a cash flow basis also, right? Yep. Uh, compare that with the football leagues in Europe. You are looking at a 380 matches of a season in a 10-month, nine, 10-month window, uh, over 10 rounds, right? Uh, and you can fill up a channel, which is not the case of an ICCP, which is not the case of a FIFA deal, which is not the case of an IOC deal. Sure. No, no, absolutely. So from, from, a, from an economics perspective, also it varies. Um, but, you know, if you look at the Premier League, for example, you know, I think their, their six-year deal with the NBC is now four years old, if I remember correctly. Now, here's another question for you. Uh, again, comparing the worlds, you know, you, you lived all around the world. Uh, in football, of course, the UEFA, FIFA controls what happens in between as well, right? The qualification mm-hmm. matches and all this stuff, which were, you could argue in, in cricket, that's the test matches, right? Um, but they are obviously still very much controlled by the by the individual federations and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the ICC can't really get their hands on it. Mm-hmm. Um, is it purely because the power is really still vested so heavily in the in the, in the the local federation or the, the country-specific federations versus ICC and that's, you know, why they've just been able, not been able to sort of take more control of that? No, I don't think so. I think, I don't, well, firstly, I don't think it's an apple and Apple's comparison. I think to compare World Cup qualifiers which have a logical relevance to the World Cup itself. You know, you qualify for the World Cup. So it's a very simple straight line that all, of, all, the, all the participating teams are going through, which is not the case of, you know, what are called the bilateral tournaments, which are basically between, between two opposing countries no. across different formats. Because there, there, is no, there is no sort of global pyramid until recently where they have it for the World Test Championships. That is sort of working towards. So there's, there's, so there's no, there, from a fan's perspective, there's no incentive to follow, uh, you know, more than one series apart from your home series. You know, if I'm Nigerian, I want to see, you know, who else from my pool will qualify, or who else will qualify, who will come second in the opposing pool, or who will come first in the opposing pool, because when I qualify at the group stage, I'm going to play them. So irrespective of their, whether they're an African country or not, I have a vested interest. 
Whereas if India is playing Sri Lanka and Pakistan is playing England, there's no connection because irrespective of the outcome of that series, the next series may not necessarily have a link to that. Right. But there is, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a global cricket uh, ranking, right? Uh, where, you know, you have teams, you know, ranked obviously based on how they perform in, in these test series. Yeah. Um, you know, so therefore it's no different than the FIFA ranking. Um, but there is a difference, right? So maybe explain that a bit. So I think two or three things. One, I think the motivations for the rankings originally, at least to my understanding, was purely commercial. You know, MRF was a global sponsor. They pioneered the whole sort of cricket rankings. Castrol was a big sponsor of cricket, and they pioneered the rankings. And then mm -hmm. since then, it's become like a it's a bit like a bit like fantasy now. It's become like a cookie cutter product for sponsorship. Right. Um, uh, until recently, I think the ICC began its rankings probably about four or five years ago, if I remember correctly. There was no one global you know gold standard. Okay. Um, so I think that there's there's a there's a, there's a bit of sort of in many ways, the Global Federation has sort of caught up with, centralized, harmonized, standardized, normalized, the ranking space, uh, which whose origins were actually commercial, not mm. in terms of historical comparison, right? Uh, so there's a bit of that. Um, and and I think historically, um, um, as I said, this, this also goes back to the fact that the central, the centrality of ICC events, whether it's the World Cup or the T20 or the Champions Trophy, has really gained prominence in the last 10, 12 years. Otherwise, for the previous 50 years, uh, it was mainly a, you know, the competition between the two countries, you know, the Ashes, for example, England and Australia, mm. or you know, England against the, uh, the Caribbean, the West Indies, right. or India against Australia. So there was never a collective global um, following of competition on a common standard. So it's much more evolving. I don't know. I don't think that answers your question entirely, but that's that's my stab at it. Uh, no, interesting. Uh, I want to go uh, quickly into the short form T twenty, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and now there is a T ten. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're aware of, right? Mm -hmm. Played in mm -hmm. played in the UAE. Um, mm -hmm. I think that a couple of seasons already, and, and we're mm -hmm. currently actually having some conversations there, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. um, now. Again, I'm I'm German, so cricket is really one of those games where it took me forever to just get my head around it, basically. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. you know, having offices in India and, and have done a lot of business in India over the years, uh, you do get to you know you get you get your head around it, and you do appreciate uh, the finer nuances of it. Um, now, I love T20. I think it's a fantastic concept, great uh, great idea. Um, and just thinking of that T10 could be even quicker, faster, and again, you know, more sort of bite-sized to fit that sort of current, you know, short attention span audience mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. make a lot of sense. What, what's your thought on that? Look, I think, I think tinkering with the format of a sport is, is not as easy as it seems, especially if it's, if it's by design. Keep in mind, T20 was more, you know, the, the origins of T20 were very, very different, right? So mm -hmm. I tend to consider T20 on the same lines as futsal. In Latin America, uh, as three-on-three -three basketball, which is in China, and you know, Sam yep. has been on your shows on a pretty phenomenal job. Um, you know, it's it's much more in terms of people having a shorter time span to watch and to play. It being very resource light, you can play it anywhere. You only need a handful of people. I'm talking about three-on-three -three and futsal. Yep. Uh, whereas in T20, you know, you can play it in three hours. The whole comparison when the IPL was launched was. You know, I can either watch an IPL match or I can watch a, a Bollywood blockbuster movie, which is typically two and a half hours. And a similar kind of ARPU. You know, you go, you buy popcorn, you, yep. you know, go park your car, all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's, that's my first point. I think the second point is you want to also think of it not purely from a commercial perspective. So I think one of the biggest things which has come out of the ICC in the last, in my opinion, in the last sort of two, three years was when they sort of, established the 2020 as the format for all of the associate countries. And therefore, what happens is the shorter the version of the game, potentially the, 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 the lower the skill set and temperament required to perform and cause an upset. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And therefore, you have a country like PNG who is going to play in Australia or a country like Singapore who beat, I think, the US and Canada in one of the qualifiers. Mm -hmm. So that increases access, that increases the interest for the sport at an international level, uh, right. and there are those benefits. Now, yeah. whether it's a question of T20 or T10, look, I think you'll, you'll never be able to convince everybody. I think it goes down to what your objective is. What's your, your what's your personal opinion on T10? What, what's your thought on it? Look, um, okay, hands up. 
I've played league cricket uh, in on four continents. I played in South Africa, I played in New York, I played in London, I played in Delhi. And I always played three days, 50 overs in T20. I've never played a T10, T10 game. So as a first person, I can never give you that opinion. Whereas T20, I can, mm-hmm. right? As a player, that's one perspective. Right. The second perspective is that as a producer and, and a creative person. It is, you know, to my mind, an even shorter version of a shorter version. Yeah. It's, it's news headlines rather than news bulletin. Yeah, so the, it'll appeal to certain people. Uh, it'll bring certain new audiences in. It'll isolate certain segments. So the question really is, how do you actually, what is your objective? Is it reach? Is it revenue? Is it relevance? And the third piece is, I think, from a scheduling perspective, Marcus, it's the, 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 the calendar is quite full now. Yeah, of course. So then the question, you know, T20 was very lucky. It came at the right time. The right kind of players, bat technology was very good, grounds were there, lights were working, you know, cameras had irises which could pick up luminance in HD. You know, there were multiple factors that people don't realize which came together for the success of T20 at a global level. Mm. Whereas in T10, you know, there, there's, there's fixture congestion, there is audience fatigue at some level. Um, there is, you know, does, do the sums really stack up? Uh, will the broadcaster pay as much? Are the players available? Uh, you know, so all of these factors come into it. But you know what? It could be a, mi- a minor league equivalent in baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that T10 will ever be as big as T20. Um, I think part of the, what I understand, uh, they also hope and believe maybe that uh, that could be the format which could go into the Olympics. Again, keep it short, keep it simple. Yeah, more, more countries around the world have a chance to play. And yeah. like you rightly said, it's, uh, you know, it... it Kind of changes the, the 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 perimeters a bit. It's not this the the big countries or the big uh, cricket nations who can do well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so which is all good, right? And I think that's a, a part of the conversation, of course. Always giving ideas for other sports, right? Someone who isn't in cricket, you know, might be listening to this and going, you know, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But if you least if someone listens carefully, it doesn't matter what sport you're in. I think it's the nuances what other sports are doing and how you learn from it. And that's always you know the place right, I yeah. come from. Yeah, can I say one thing? You know, Thomas Bach gave a very famous speech, I think it was December 2014, where he sort of said, you know, he challenged uh, the IOC and its membership, you know, change or be changed. Yep, absolutely. And a very, very famous speech that was. And he basically said the competition for us is not other broadcasts and other sports. The competition is other alternative forms of entertainment. Absolutely. So, you know, if the T10 can allow, you know, um, a 10-year-old child to go and hit a ball because they're in such a celebration-driven world. You know, I post something, how many people have liked it? Yeah. It's very different from test cricket, where for the first hour, the more boring you are, the better player you're considered to be. I don't know. Test cricket is one thing. You guys having tea breaks? That, I mean, that's just beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, my, but yeah, you're right. But my, my point is, you know, you have to have assets and cards to play in a time when attention is at a premium. Absolutely. Attention to participate, attention to consume, attention to follow, attention to celebrate. So, you know, there are different pieces to, to the T10 debate. Uh, and it shouldn't be compared necessarily only as a, as a derivative of T20. That's for sure. Uh, but, but I do, I think we probably both would agree, T20, in my mind at least, and, and, and again, I'm not a cricket man, but uh, in my mind, it, it really took cricket to a whole new level. It, it, I don't think without T20, cricket could be where it is right now. No, I think I'd agree with you. Um, I think there's no denying that fact, and there's, uh, you know, the cricketing world often has differences of opinion on various things. But I think there's one thing which sort of the commercial and consumer success of T20 uh, is something that the entire cricketing world, or at least a large majority of it, is is in consensus of. Um, you know, not all T20 leagues, you know, break even or make money, but they carry on simply because there's a certain value to it. Yeah, whether, it's tour- whether it's tourism boards, national associations, broadcasters, sponsors. Uh, I think cricket is very lucky for having it. Absolutely. And, yeah, and you've got plenty of them now, right? I mean, Bangladesh has one, Australia, you know, pretty much all the major, you know, UK, they have their own t- T20s now. So it is truly, I guess, becoming the, but it's easier to have a leak, right, in that format than it was in, in previous formats. Would that be correct? Look, I think it is, and don't, let's not forget, T20's origins were actually in the UK with the ECB. Uh, and that was about drawing crowds in 2002, 2003. And then, you know, the whole thing sort of happened with the ICC and then the IPL happened. Uh, but again, I would just bring, bring back the fact that, you know, you can't assume that uh, the audience will not get tired. You know, one of the things that the American leagues do brilliantly, and which I think the European football leagues will now learn under a tough environment, is they actually make, make the culture of the sport a much bigger celebration than the competition of the sport. Mm. Which is a very nuanced piece. But, you know, yeah. in the NFL season, 16 weekends and you're done. 
Uh, you know, Major League Baseball, NBA, they have over a thousand matches in a season. Yeah. But, you know, they maintain that whole culture. That's right. Which That's is something I think European football will learn, hopefully. Formula One's tried it. Uh, but I think the rest of the sporting world has to learn from the NBA and the NFL. Uh, which the NHL and MLB have not, but MLS Absolutely. has, for example. And so that, that's my sort of lasting take on it. No, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good point there. Um, so we got to slowly wrap it up here. Um, but a couple, two more things I wanted. First of all, maybe just talk a bit about what you're doing with Picture Board Partners. Obviously, it's your sure. own, own sort of own group. Um, just give a sense uh, for people to understand the services and, and the things you guys do. So, yeah, so look, we, uh, I, it was an epiphany moment in terms of September 2014 where multiple things came into play. A few people were sort of reaching out for assistance in what they wanted, uh, whether it was entering the Asian market, whether it was trying to make sense of digital monetization, whether it was looking at sports technology and media technology from a startup and investment perspective. And uh, it sort of, it came to me that, you know, my skill set also is I've done content, I've done product, I've done strategy, and I've sold with a, with a number on my back. So there was a bit of that also. And I felt that it was a very interesting way of, you know, splitting up my skill set and trying to see if I could actually do a lot of uh, different kinds of things. Um, and the other piece also was that, you know, I had been in a digital role for over a decade in mainly analog businesses, whether it's IMG, whether it's BBC, whether it's ESPN Star. And I was very clear that I wanted to work primarily in digital and in mobile all the way through. So there was a way of sort of working out what the variety was. So we set up this practice. It's fundamentally a growth practice. We do three things. We do, uh, we do digital content and digital technology monetization. So we work with enterprise tech and early stage businesses on the technology side. Mm-hmm. We work with games publishers, esports event promoters, uh, movie catalogs, and sports federation leagues and clubs to help them monetize their content, be it data, be it video, be it audio, as the case might be. So there's a, there's a sales piece to it. Mm-hmm. The other thing we do is we do a lot of strategy. Now, the strategy can be of three different types. Either it's looking at you know, market entry for clients in Scandinavia, Israel, Australia, into Southeast Asia and South Asia, or it's looking at you know, commercial strategy for a federation or a movie catalog. You know, what are my options? Where should I go? How do I think about growth for myself? Uh, and the third area was investment strategy, which was basically looking at if I have $10 million, uh, you know, what is the way to sort of, sort of spend it? Mm. Uh, so that, that pretty much was the bulk of what we did between 15, 16, 17, 18 um, and I was lucky that, you know, six, nine months in, the ICC got in touch. And the, the rule with the ICC was that I was a contractor. So I, they had exclusivity on what I was doing in the world of cricket, buying and selling. And since the rights were being sold for the first time, uh, I had to be an ICC email, which makes perfect sense. But because of that, uh, you know, I still remember I was asked, so what title do you want? So you give me whatever title you want. So it was a very good thing from a practice perspective because I actually had an anchor client. So long as, you know, I made my targets, and thankfully we did. Um, but it also gave me time to then branch out into gaming and esports. Did a lot of work on media technology, did some work, more work in investment. So you know, we worked with family offices, we worked with strategics, we worked with some VC firms, uh, looking at the buy side and the sell side. Uh, primarily around sport, uh, media technology, and gaming. Right. And that's been interesting. And in the last year and a bit, we sort of, I wouldn't say expanded, but we've added some more bench strength to, to our team. So today there are five of us spread across um, uh, Southeast Asia, South Asia, uh, ANZ, Europe, and the UK, and Boston. So Boston, London, uh, Bombay, Singapore, Sydney. And these are five people who sort of work for themselves as well. Uh, and the idea is that we sort of work as a collective. Uh, and that's led to a much wider demand funnel in terms of the work we do. We do a lot of work in data now. We do a lot of work in ad tech now, uh, and we're doing a lot of work around the investment side, corporate finance side. Um, so that's been fun. And, I can imagine. Um, it's it's you know it's it's like it's very entrepreneurial. It's it's it, often it's feast and famine, uh, but uh, you know life's full of trade-offs, and so far so good. Very thankful for our clients for the support they've given us. Yeah. Oh, and then I think the the whole concept of being uh, in a sense small and nibble uh, and having you know yeah. guys with key uh, uh, expertise in different parts of the world. I think that's uh, there's a good route to go, uh, especially in current environment, right? If you think of it, uh, you know, think of overheads and everything else. Every agency with large overheads uh, uh, is bleeding and, and will be struggling. Yeah, so uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, the whole the whole sort of you know going back four years when the thesis was actually established, it was very much a, you know it's, it's like a niche. It's like a niche McKinsey. It's a niche IMG and it's a niche Lazard, which sort of comes together. That really was a sort of thinking behind it. I don't think mm-hmm. we're quite there yet. 
but uh, at least four or five people have oh, felt it useful well, to we, be part of the part of the team. Absolutely. I wish you good luck with it. And uh, just you, the last thought here. With with everything going on here, the world is shut down. Sports is you know on uh, in the, in cold storage. Yeah. What's your thinking? Where when are we going to get back out here? Um, what do you see is happening? Where the shifts are? Um, you know. Okay. What's your quick thought? So on look, that? let's let's focus on the benefits. I think there are two main benefits which are going to come out. I think the digital universe as a whole uh, is suddenly going to get much larger. Mm-hmm. So in mature markets of the West, you know, Europe, US. Japan, Korea, Australia, I think there was an entire generation of people above the age of 50 who are not digitally savvy, Mm -hmm. but they suddenly are going to become that, a large majority of them. And that's going to grow the universe in those markets. Keep in mind, these demographics are extremely wealthy as well. They're time rich and money rich. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a source of growth. In the emerging markets outside of, you know, KL, Bangkok, Bombay, Manila, uh, you know, Lagos, Nairobi, Joburg. I think there's going to be a large population outside the metros who are going to become digital adopters as well. Uh, and that's because, you know, they are going to have to use it for, for, for education, for healthcare, for, for, for e-commerce, for banking, as the case might be. Even in India, you know, there are about 20, 30 million people who've gone from the cities into the villages. And these are people with smartphones. Okay, they are very cheap smartphones, but they are with smartphones in the, in the villages. Can you imagine them spending a month at home and getting people online with WhatsApp and all that kind of stuff? It's pretty amazing. So, that, that, so the digital university in my mind is going to grow mm-hmm. in both markets very differently. That's point number one. I think point number two, the, the, the genuinely natively digital uh, storytelling is going to come out of all of this. Um, a, a lot of times, you know, Winston Churchill famously said, you know, never waste a good crisis. Yep, that's my favorite and, quote at the moment. And, and as you say, you know, look, for any lasting change to happen, you've got to have human capital, which you can buy in the market. You need to have commercial capital, cash resources, which you can get from the board. Often what you don't have is political or cultural capital. Uh, but, you know, crises allow you to sort of harvest that. And then that hopefully means that, you know, whether it's sports federation, leagues or clubs, whether it's, you know, broadcasters, publishers, licensees, whether it's brands, stadiums, event promoters, apparel manufacturers, you know, all of that's going to change quite, quite drastically. Yes, you know, there's no denying the fact that there's going to be a short-term pain. We're at the coalface of it. We're facing it every day. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's the old sort of, you know, wood from the trees. Um, and you know, sometimes crises happen and that becomes an opportunity. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and to your point about visibility, look, if I could tell you how long it will take... You know, uh, I'd probably be far more successful than I've been in the last 20 years in the industry. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, but I think I think it's it's about being prudent. I think it's about being grateful. I think it's being about being thankful for the decade of growth we've had. Uh, but it's about going back to basics as well. I think it'll make all of us will come out of it is very hungry. We'll come out of it very humble as well, uh, which is not true. a bad combination to have. And absolutely, and I think as usual, that's that's true in life in general, not just for sports. I think we're all learning a million things here uh, while stuck at home and and having to deal with uh, the world in a very very different light. So um, on that note, Unmesh, thank you for your time there. Enjoyed it uh, as usual. We uh, I'm sure we'll catch up again uh, when we're both allowed to run around again <laughs> uh, at some conference in the world, uh, and always enjoy our conversation. So uh, thanks for the enlightenment here on a bit of cricket and a few other things, and uh, have a good day there in Singapore. No worries, Marcus. Thanks for your time, and hope the audience enjoys this. Take care. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.